Welcome to the Lost Sierra Stories podcast, produced by the Sierra Institute for Community and Environment. My name is Nina Martin, the Communications Coordinator at Sierra Institute, and your host for this podcast. We wanted to start this podcast to capture stories about the resiliency and challenges facing people in our rural area during COVID-19, both to capture this time in history and to keep us connected as a community. In this podcast, we will explore stories of our local economy, the arts, healthcare, food systems, education, and more. We're starting the series by focusing on education as it's one of the more impacted systems struggling to maintain balance during this pandemic. We will be exploring what education looks like and how it's working now that it has suddenly been flipped on its head in the middle of the semester, no less, to remote and virtual learning here in Plumas County. I'm really excited today to bring you an interview that I did with Erica Perdue, who is my friend and a teacher at Quincy Junior Senior High School. She's teaching 10th grade and 12th grade English this year, as well as 12th grade AP literature and drama. Her interview is just very honest and authentic, and I just really appreciated our time to talk and what she shares in this interview, I think, is, is really important and special as far as showing us kind of um, the different dimensions of the human experience and what that can look like and mean in a pandemic. And so she shares a little bit of that about her personal experience. And I just think it's, you know, really beautiful. And I hope um, you enjoy it as much as I did. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thanks so much for being willing to be a part of this and share your experience. So let's just start with, you know, what does your home look, home life look like as far as teaching from home? What is your uh, setup with your daughter there, and um, and kind of, you know, what is life like for you right now as you're teaching from home? I think I would describe it as messy and creative, <laughs> um, but I say messy with. A smile on my face with a sense of humor because I have a one and a half year old uh, daughter and she's been home with me actually since the beginning of March. The first week in March, she got really sick. She had RSV. So sh- so we were home with her. And then the next week we had that crazy snowstorm. And then by Thursday we were, school was canceled because of COVID. So um, she has been home with me since the beginning of March. And I basically sit at my dining room table because there's plenty for her to do. She has her own little table, her high chair, (laughs) all her toys. Um, The kitchen's really close because we often need food. Um, And then it's just a fun juggling act. So when I have class, um, I try and give her her favorite snacks, set up some Sesame Street for her to watch. Um, That usually can buy me about 20 minutes. She'll watch for about 20 minutes. Then she joins the class and sits on my lap. Um, And then when I'm not teaching, the screen time or my screen time, checking emails and planning lessons and posting assignments on Google Classroom happens Um, as soon as she goes down for a nap in the morning and in the afternoon. Um, And then kind of like little, almost like little interruptions, like little interludes here and there. So I can 
you know, quickly respond to an email to a student um, while she's eating lunch or something. Like right. Gosh. Yeah. So we just, we just make it work. That is quite the balancing act. And you told me you were pregnant, which is yep. wild. I'm also seven months pregnant, which is kind of amazing because that means there's another one joining our, our family. But um, the past couple of months and the next couple of months, I get all this time with just Mabel before he arrives. So that's been really special. That is um, special. Yeah, having her as an only child, knowing that window of time is closing. So it's been, it's been sweet. Right. Well, that's a positive then. Yeah. So, okay. So as coronavirus is, you know, ramping up and things are getting serious and you're watching the news and you're listening to the district and all of that, what was for you, what was that like initially when you realized you were going to have to do this, you were going to have to teach at home, everything was going to go virtual as far as just your mental thought processes at first. At the very beginning, it felt um, a lot more scary and overwhelming than um, the reality has has turned out to be. Not that it's not scary and overwhelming, but um, the adjustment period, I think, put us all in survival mode. And in that sense, it wasn't super emotional because we were all in survival mode. So we were just, you know, checking the updates daily and trying to figure it all out. And then it was kind of like once once we had a couple of weeks of distance learning and being home, that's when it started to kind of sink in like, wow, this is really isolating. This is, you know, pretty... Um, intense for a lot of our students. But I think in the beginning, we all just had this momentum, like, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to reach our kids? What's the best way to get education to them, opportunities to them? And then the feelings came later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So for you now, so we've been doing this for two, over two months, and I think you only have two weeks of school left. I mean, what does it feel kind of now? I and mean, what are those feelings that are going through your head? How are you, um, you know, how is how is this operated as far as actually teaching and trying to keep students on track and, you know, coordinate their virtual learning? Well, a couple of things that surprised me are the amount of time that it takes to plan a Zoom class or a weekly lesson plan without being able to explain it to them in person and just the amount of time it takes to respond to parents and and students which is my number one priority I try to respond if I can within you know the hour um, if they email me because I'm just so happy to hear from them but the other thing that's been frustrating and and disappointing is that we really are reaching, so few students. I mean, I have a handful, I I teach seniors. So with seniors, it's really tough. Um, My AP students, of course, had the AP exam to work towards. So they were really engaged. Um, And they worked really hard. And I'm really, really proud of them. Um, And then my other seniors, you know, have really shifted their priorities, understandably, you know, they're they're working full time or they're home with their siblings. Um, And it's been really, it's been challenging just reaching them. I mean, just getting a response from them because it's not like they're required to show up. It's all about owning their own learning. Um, My sophomores, 
I think are different because they're coming back to school next year and um, they're just in a different place in their education. So I've been able to reach more of them, but with the students that are not tuning in either through email or even, you know, picking up paper packets or checking in with me via Zoom, um, it's just been disappointing because it does take hours and hours and hours of planning and it's hard when I'm reaching maybe a third of my class. And I'm, and I'm not trying to say that, um, I, I'm not even trying to say that paint a negative light on, on my students. And it's definitely my job to try to reach them and, and to do that planning. I'm not um, complaining about that responsibility. But I think for any teacher, when you put, you know, time and effort into making a plan or making an assignment, and then you're excited to present it, and then you present it to nine instead of 23. You know, it just, it takes the wind out of your cells a little bit, but they also have so much they're dealing with. So I I don't say that with blame or or anger at my students. I think they have to juggle just like I have to juggle, right? And, and their kids. So they're doing the best, they're doing the best they can, just like we're doing the best we can. But, but some, but for a lot of them, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, what it's like for them right now and what they're doing. And I hope that they're finding opportunities to learn and challenge themselves, even if they're not coming to my class. Right. Is that, you know, for you, um, has that been the most challenging part, the reaching students or what, what are, what have been some of your most challenging moments or experiences, um, with, with virtual learning? Is it the platforms or, you know, just the overall, you know, new environment? I, I think the most challenging has been the unknown kind of looking at a calendar um, with a lot of gray. Um, So planning for virtual learning when you don't know when the school year is ending, when you don't know how grades are going to factor into it, when you don't know who's going to show up. I mean, there's just the, the unknown has become a part of our reality for everybody. But teaching, and especially for me personally, which, you know, being my friend, like I'm a planner. So for a planner... (laughs) It's a little bit more challenging um, when you're dealing with so many unknown variables. So I think that's been the biggest challenge because you don't want to do what I what I call retroactive work, right? You don't want to do all of this X, Y, and Z if then X, Y, and Z is not going to work. And and there has been, um, you know, a piece of that. So you have to just be really flexible. So I would say the unknown has been the biggest challenge. And then in terms of the platform's been fine. I mean, Zoom was pretty easy to learn. Google Classroom, we've all been using already. So that's an easy way to reach the kids. But the absent students are the ones I worry the most about. Yeah. Are you, is there anything particular that you're most worried for your students, whether that's that they're like missing things academically, their, you know, emotional states, their, you know, motivation? I know for your seniors, there's probably a whole other host of emotions because you're not going to see them again. I mean, not in your classroom. But is, you know, <clears throat> I guess the things that teachers are worrying about as far as their students, is it, you know, is what pieces for you are you concerned about the most? Well, I think worldwide, the fall is going to look different for education. And all of, all of the teachers in the world are going to be playing some form of catch up, right? We're all going to be um, looking at the impact of the spring. So academically, I know they'll be okay because 
we have really good teachers out there that care about getting them caught up. So whatever they're missing, I know we will work hard and they will work hard to to get caught up. But there will be a divide between, there'll be a bigger gap between the students that had support at home and had the internet and did the assignments and the students that didn't have that support. So that is a concern, that gap. And then I I go back to the unknown. I, I think in terms of the emotional state of my students, the ones I'm the most worried about are the ones that I haven't seen or heard from. And and I just don't know. I don't know if they're relaxing and playing video games and enjoying themselves or if they're under the stress of, you know, doing the stay at home mom thing because their parents are still working. I don't I just don't know. So I feel like to not be able to, when you see students every day for, you know, the school year, and then all of a sudden it just kind of goes dark, that's got to be really hard because you're just, yeah, like you're saying, you're just imagining what their lives look like. What about for your seniors? Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that must be pretty emotional. There's so much that happens at the end of the year with senior speeches, with graduation, with you know, their senior projects, um, present, you know, their presentations, and then you do kind of like the end of the year, you know, slideshows and just all of that kind of just, you know, celebrating them. So, and as a senior teacher, you're pretty close to them, I imagine. And so for you, when you're, you're talking to your seniors, what does that look like as far as trying to navigate this basically loss of, you know, you can't get back all of those experiences. Well, I think the senior year is such an important transitional period for them. And they lost three months of the transition. So I think for most of my seniors, they on March 13th, or whenever we didn't go back, that was kind of graduation day for them, right? Where, you know, we usually look at June 12th, and they start their summer jobs, and they save all that money for college, and then they go off to college. Well, I think it just started sooner for most of them. The ones that I have heard from are all uh, working. So I think props to them for uh, adapting so quickly. There's definitely a mourning that is going on for the seniors. It was, I think, really motivating for my AP students because the AP exams were not lost to them as an opportunity. That was one of the things like, this is still happening for you. We're not taking this away. I'm proud of them for using that as a motivation and not kind of dragging their their heels. They were excited to, to do the work. We are attempting to do senior speeches next week too over Zoom. Um, But again, the students that are participating in that um, are the students who have been engaged in my second period class. And the other class, like I said, has really moved on to the adult world. So it'll be pretty, I think it'll be pretty disappointing for the seniors that do participate because only about half of them are participating in senior speeches, which is a tradition that that they usually love, even though they dread doing it. It's, I mean, it's totally nerve wracking. And I remember writing multiple drafts and, you know, being so frustrated with Miss Frediani for making us do it. And then at the end, it's like, you're so, it's just like, I mean, it's an emotional journey that I think is really worthwhile. And I'm excited that half of the class does want to do it, but I'm a little bit at a loss with how to get the other seniors to do it because it's, this point I mean it really is optional yeah do you think that that optional 
you know, kind of framework that um, PUSD has adopted. I think a lot of schools, at least in California, have adopted that in the whole harmless, which makes a lot of sense. But do you think that that's working? Do you think that that was the best move? I don't know how else it could have looked because it it was so spontaneous, right? This wasn't planned. Nobody wanted to go online. Um, Mm -hmm. But just that kind of optional sense, do you feel like that was I mean, are you, do you wish at all that it wasn't optional? Do you feel like you probably obviously would have more students showing up? Yeah, that's a good question because I can't imagine what else we could do, but I definitely think that optional uh, policy has negatively impacted participation. And at the same time, without it, we would have so many students who would fail because they can't do the work. So I just, I, I believe in doing what's fair and what's best. And I, as frustrating as it is to not have them participating, I don't know if there is an option out there that would have been more fair. Gotcha. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, trying to, and I think that gap too, as you were saying, you know, not everybody has the support at home. Not everybody has the same access to internet or just the same tools or even just the same self-motivation. Like some students need that really like hands-on in the classroom and you don't want to see students so negatively impacted from this as far as like failing when it's really out of, you know, it's so out of their control as far as what happened with the pandemic, you know? So that does make sense. And the spiral of the impact, right, would just continue because if they fail 10th grade English, then they have to retake a semester of 10th grade English. And then, you know, the possibility of them not graduating on time becomes a reality because they'd probably fail other classes. And I mean, I think that we have done the best job that we could possibly do as a district and as a school um, to try and reach as many students as, as we, I mean, we've tried to reach them all, right? And with multiple opportunities to participate, you know, by providing hotspots and uh, paper packets and delivering books to their homes and just trying to be as inviting as possible when it comes to participation, I think has been the best approach. But yeah, I'm glad that that you know that, that's a lot of extra work too. So it's awesome that you guys have been able to try to prioritize that. I know that is your job, to, but still, you know, having to now not just teach, you know, eight to four or whatever it is, but actually like drive to students' houses and like really try to call them and meet them where they're at is, I mean, must be such an interesting just new challenge to take on as a teacher. You know, you still have to do all your teaching, but now you're also trying to like troubleshoot all day long. How do you reach your students? How do you engage them? So I don't know. Have you found anything else? Like, is there any other new things you've adopted in your teaching style? Like a new like online platform that you haven't tried before or a new kind of project? Anything you've done different because of this or I think at the beginning I thought I would have a lot more time to I mean I remember actually making um my to-do list on my daily log and at the beginning it said um for each day I had put add a new resource and I had a list of resources like Scholastic and Newzella and resources that I use but I don't have time to just sit and explore them and look for awesome lessons or articles but we quickly learned that we don't actually have a lot of extra time. The extra time that I thought I would have, I don't know where it is. <laughs> not here. Naturally, we've had to do everything different. So, the, I mean, the amount of discussion that I have with the kids is 
you know, 45 minutes a week as opposed to five times that. So I've really like limited their focus and my focus when it comes to what we're reading and what I want them to get out of it. I've given them a lot more choice as opposed to if we were in my classroom, this would be the writing assignment and I would walk them through it. And these are the steps we'd follow, right? For their final writing assignment, they have all of these choices so they can do something creative. Um, They can do multiple platforms they can use the computer entirely. They can handwrite everything. I mean, I've just found that you have to give a lot more choice, um, even more than I did in my classroom. And then you have to be really flexible with timelines. If a student, you know, if a student emails me and says, I'm really behind and I still want to do the narrative that you assigned three weeks ago, can I do it? And all my late policies out the window, like, of course, of course, you can do anything you want. <laughs> like, I'm just happy to hear from you. And I've used YouTube a lot. We were using it daily for the AP lessons because College Board hired uh, expert teachers basically to do these really focused lessons daily and for each of the subjects. And the AP literature ones were phenomenal. Um, so we did a lot of YouTube watching and note taking and activities and um, yeah, just by nature, everything about it is different. Right. Have you learned anything about yourself or about teaching or about your students that you just wouldn't have expected because of this? It's reinforced certain things that I already knew. One being that I love my students and I really miss them. (laughs) I mean, my daily interaction with students is full of smiles and laughs and hugs and eye rolling (laughs) and, you know, sarcastic comments and, you know, frustrations, all of those things as well. But um, the person to person interaction with those kids uh, is something that I greatly miss, but that doesn't surprise me. I love being a stay at home mom. (laughs) So that also doesn't surprise me. It's way harder than I thought it was. But, you know, I always thought like, oh, you get to be a mom and stay at home and you can just hang out and wear your pajamas. And it's like, not what it's like. (laughs) There's like three baths a day. Um, And it's great. But um, I think what I already knew about myself and about my role as a teacher and what I already knew about my students has been reinforced. And the students that are showing up and the hardworking students that are putting time and effort in are not surprising me either. I mean, we have great students and they're working really hard. I feel like if I was a student right now, I already knew this, but I would be realizing, gosh, I didn't know how much school added to my social life. You know, just that the affirmations you get from your teachers, even just the discipline, the structure, the organization, the, you know, the the social formations you just gain because of your peers and just like the things you're navigating all day long with social interactions to take that out and to just have academics. I think that's gosh, like what a transition for students, because that's a very more like complete, like maybe in college that could seem like that could maybe fly. But in high school, it's so much about how you're interacting as you know, with your peers, with your teachers. So trying to I don't know, navigate that or recreate that the best you can. I just I think that that's going to be one thing that if you have to continue to do this in the next year, because I mean, I think everyone's talking like, is this going to keep going? You know, how do you there are just some things you can't quite replace right with virtual learning. So I don't know what that's going to look like. I hope that there can be some kind of blended something. I don't know if you've thought about that for future, for next year. I know you just said there's so many unknowns. 
So, you know, you can't think too far ahead. You're about to have your baby. <laughs> I know. I'm not even I'm not even going to be there when they go back in whatever form they they go back in. So, um, yeah, I think our principal, our new principal is really supportive and encouraging when it comes to the emotional peace and the uh, well-being of our social and emotional um, issues with our students. And so he's really great at checking in with all of us. And that always reminds me to do that with my students and give them that time at the beginning. But there, it's like radio silence. It's crickets, you know? So, so like the best way to get them to participate is to type into the chat and on a scale of one to five, right? Five being you're doing awesome. This is a great day. You know, one being you're really struggling and, um, and then I can get a, a little bit out of them. But, but if for the most part, if I'm like, how are you all? <laughs> no response. So you're right. I mean, there would have to be, there would have to be a new way to reach them and provide that kind of social interaction and um, that emotional support and all of that, that they do usually get. I mean, in, in a sense, you're right that that takes so much time. School, school is a great place for all of those interactions. So in a way, seeing them once a week has worked because I can just get to the academics and that's it. Right. And then we hit all those things and then class dismissed. But yeah, they're, they're not doing any of the, the group work or the debate or the project-based learning or, you know, it's totally independent. Which is interesting because I wonder for some students if that works, you know, if that's a if that's a system that can kind of maybe more support them and maybe we'll learn something from this for how some students might, you know, better succeed. And I feel like for the majority of students, there's gonna there, there are some things that with virtual learning, they need to kind of have added on as, you know, additions. But I think for some students, maybe this is working, maybe not. I don't know. No, it, no, you're right. It is. I mean, Kayla Thackeray wrote her story and it was in the newspaper. I don't know if you saw it um, the week before last or last week. She's one of my sophomores. And that was one of the things that she's learned from this is you know about how she really appreciates having choice in terms of her time management. And she's excellent at it. But I do think, again, we're that's I don't, I don't know if creating is the right word, but in a sense, like participating in this divide that's getting bigger and bigger, right? This gap that's getting bigger and bigger between learning styles and um, self-motivation and, and so on. So college students, right, are probably doing okay. I don't know. I don't teach college. But my students that are, you know, closer to being ready for college are able to do distance learning better than those who still need a couple years of us, you know, holding their hands or nagging them. (laughs) Nurturing them along, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. One last question. Do you feel like there's some other like big successes or wins for you, even just personally? Like what have your, what have, what have been some of the, the positives out of this things that you feel like were, you know, relatively good, I guess. Do you have some of those? Yeah, I I definitely feel like I've had a lot of time to 
reflect on what I'm grateful for and I'm surrounded by what I'm grateful for. So I think I can't imagine living somewhere else and going through this. I mean, my life support has been like daily walks that are an hour to two hours long and it's safe to do that on Chandler Road. And, you know, I can do that with our neighbors and we can walk on opposite sides of the street and still have that social interaction. Um, surrounded by incredible beauty. So I'm, I'm grateful for where I live a lot. Um, I know that in some situations, this has been understandably a huge strain for families. So I'm financially and emotionally and, and for so many reasons, I'm really grateful that both my husband and I are employed through this. I can't even imagine the fear that would go along with being isolated and not being able to pay our mortgage or something. So just a lot of gratitude. I'm glad I like my husband (laughs) and my child. You know, I think when you're in situations that can be scary or that can situations of crisis, um, it can bring out the best in people and it can bring out the worst in people. Um, So I'm, I'm super grateful that I'm isolated with good people and, um, in a beautiful environment and that I that I do have internet and you know a way to to connect even if it's not a hug right so yeah I just think and, and that's not to say there aren't moments that are really hard and frustrating where I'm in tears I mean um, my dad passed away on March 20th so that was actually the official first day of um, so that piece was in terms of like being socially isolated, like that piece was really hard because the rest of my family's kind of spread out and all over. Right. Right. How do you connect during, gosh, to lose someone during that time? I don't even know if you could have a funeral or like how you say goodbye. Yeah. Was that able to happen? And what had we already gone under? I don't remember what March, what, what point we were at in March 20th. Yeah, it was right. It was right at the beginning. So it was literally like we had three days. <clears throat> we had the snow days and then we had like three teacher work days to plan mm-hmm. for distance learning. And then the first day or the first day of that planning um, was when my dad died. So um it was like right at the beginning of everything, like schools closing, businesses closing. So everything's, you know, been on, put on hold. And right. now it's this weird, like gray area where it's like, I don't know when to plan a memorial service. Like mm-hmm. my dad was a pretty um, big personality. So I think his party mm-hmm. should be big. <laughs> But yeah, it's all been um, just put on hold. So, right, which is just, I can't even, I don't know how you have been able to do all of this then. If that, like, it just this, you know, this extra layer of knowing now that you are going through your own, you know, personal trauma and crisis that is so separate from coronavirus or this pandemic that everyone else is going through because that's its own trauma and that's own difficulty. And then you have this personal tragedy and loss and you're asked to then take everything online and go virtual and support your students and show up for them and like reach them where they're at and you're just trying to navigate I mean because I feel like in a normal situation you probably would have taken some time or you know had had a break or you know been able to process 
had some kind of like closing and instead I feel like you have to kind of just like keep going because it's in front of you and you have to, you know, there isn't, you don't really have many options. So I just, and you're pregnant and you have a child <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, you're like superhuman. <laughs> no, um, but that's totally why I teared up when I was reading the questions that you sent ahead of time. Cause I was like, Oh shoot. Um, Cause you're right. There is this like unique extra piece to my mm-hmm. um, COVID experience that, has been, you know, a challenge, um, in and of itself. And I will say that part of like, part of what, what gets me through life Mm -hmm. is teaching, like not being able to see those kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think made the grief like, um, really different for me, you know, other times when I've experienced loss or, um, just difficult, transitions in my life Mm -hmm. my students are really grounding and um they're just so hopeful and um without even knowing you know they're totally helpful yeah Um, so I really missed them that first week I was like oh my gosh if I were in the classroom Mm. you know I'd have to um right I guess you have someone that you have to be there for and, and show up for and like this positive distraction where you have a responsibility and so you can't you don't have the same time to kind of just like sit and ruminate or yeah know, yeah which is interesting because I guess I wouldn't have thought about it that way like in my mind I was thinking gosh that must have been so hard to do this and have this transition and when really it's like you know you you wanted to to have your work and to have your students to to just like be able to continue to do your life and to show up and to be your, you know, be a teacher. And I just think that speaks volumes to who you are as a teacher and how much you care and how involved you are. So gosh, yeah. I, we, were you able to, I don't know if like, as far as teaching online, that just wasn't the same as far as what that looked like. Um, No, I mean, I think, yeah, if we were in in school, everybody would have known mm-hmm. about it, you know, yeah. and and we were so removed mm-hmm. um, that you know it was it just wasn't the right um, it just wasn't the right platform mm-hmm. to share. I, I I think I shared just with one of my classes, um, and then I recently shared it with one of my. 10th grade classes but it was also like you know I had this really limited amount of time with them so I wasn't able to get really human and cry and say my dad just died I was like all right here we go and it was Mm -hmm. right at the beginning it was like the first time that we had a zoom class so I was like okay you guys this is how we're gonna do this and you know it's gonna be okay yeah um but that, that did keep me, um, I mean, it did keep me working. Like there was no way I wasn't going to show up for our first Zoom. So in, in that sense, it was, it was helpful. But um, I think it, I think it just really changed the grieving process for me. Right. No, yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel like you've found different ways to navigate that over the last few months? I mean, have things, have you found, have you worked with your family to create 
like a new sense of closure or I know you can't do the same memorial. I know grieving looks so different for everyone. So, I mean, and I know that it's not at all done. It's just beginning. I'm sure it's only that's so fresh, but I don't know, just to find a way if you can't have this like closing ceremony, have you found a way? I mean, I don't know. I know not, I know that this is not, this is separate from coronavirus, but in the pandemic with so many people being lost, I feel like a lot of families must have experienced a similar, you know, it's, it's different, but it's, we're all kind of, you know, people who are grieving what that looks like in this time. I don't, I have, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I'm not saying I have any kind of thoughts on what that would look like, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that you have to try and find other ways because it's very unnatural to grieve alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we find so much um, comfort in, you know, grieving together and mm-hmm. um, celebrating. Um, so we've done a little bit of that, like over Zoom, but mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me is that it feels postponed. Like Mm. it's like a little bit of grief here and a little bit of grief there, but I think we're all just kind of waiting. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people with all kinds of unknowns. Right. Mm. Um, Not that I haven't been grieving because I have been, but um, I think in terms of that, like major closure, we're, we're still hoping for it to happen and waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess in some ways it might prolong that feeling then, which is the the major negative side of that where you feel like you've just, you're just like waiting for this thing. And so you can't quite like move past it in a way that you would normally, at least just from that event as far as like the memorial. Um, Because I think ceremonies like that are really important to kind of signify something in our brain and our hearts that we're going to, you know, close this chapter. We're going to say goodbye, even if that doesn't end during that time. So, but I do think that postponing it, even though this wasn't really our choice, I mean, it was because of the pandemic. um, It has kind of, it has given us all sort of an opportunity um, to kind of move into like a calm state and not mm-hmm. so much like the shock. Um, mm. So the emotion is a little bit less sharp. And I mm. think that could, I mean, I'm the eternal optimist, right? But that could lend to like a really beautiful celebration, you know, because it won't be so devastating when um, people share their stories with us, right? It'll be, I think, a little bit less sharp in terms of the pain. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry. I just, I can't, I can't even imagine just to add to everything else that's going on. That's an added layer. That's hard for me to even comprehend. So I just really feel for you and I really admire you a lot. Thank you. It's pretty incredible. (laughs) Well, I mean, I do hope for everybody who has to go through this because, you know, for most of us, it is like a, I don't know, part of life that we can't totally avoid Um, having, you know, having a one and a half year old and being pregnant, like is an amazing way to get through it. Yeah. 
you have i mean your little girl just loves you so much <laughs> needs you and <laughs> yeah it's amazing what kids can do to just provide that like this external hope just by being their little selves <laughs> so i'm so glad that you have her and that's totally true with the pandemic and the social isolation too because as isolating as it can be and as isolating as it can feel even that has to be very temporary because i'm so busy with her <laughs> so um right. i mean i've told bubba several times like i'm just so grateful that i'm isolated with mabel cuz she's my favorite person <laughs> you know she's my she's my favorite person <laughs> in the world and so um like oh. I said before, I mean, there's just been a lot of time to reflect on my gratitude and, and that, mm -hmm. you know, that includes my dad. So, yeah. And I feel like one day you get to tell her, you know, we went through this thing and you were so small <laughs> and you probably don't, you know, have to remember, but you were like this source of joy and love and hope in like a really dark time. And what a beautiful story, you know, for her and, and that connection that you get to have. And then you're going to have this baby who's just going to be perfect <laughs> and, and you get to spend time. And yeah, I think that it's like, there's the, the, the contrast, I guess, in, in life of just so of a like darkness and grief and pain totally at the same time there's just this like light like yeah. to give birth you know that you're pregnant and you're like bringing life into the world it's just like what contrast and it's just like oh like I just feel like sometimes life is so painful it's like how do we even exist how do we even survive and at the same time there's just these like such rich beautiful um moments that yeah I don't know it doesn't even make sense to me but well, and you're right. It's, and it's simultaneous, mm -hmm. right? So like, I like what you said about the contrast, because it is true. Like, I'm so isolated, but yet I'm so connected to this human, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, there's, there's so much sadness and so much joy, like at the exact same moment. So right. I think that's, I don't know, without the time to kind of process that all, um, I'm not quite sure where we all would be, you know, mm -hmm. we'd probably be going pretty nutso. Right. Right. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens like in the long, um, the long runner, the long term effects of this kind of social change. Really? Right. Yeah. That's why it's exciting to, do an interview like with my students I keep telling them to keep writing in their journals and mm -hmm. you know I have a lot of journal prompts that are not related to anything academic because yeah. I just want them to have record of this oh definitely it is it's just it's there's there's never been any time like this in history before that's right just like this and for a lot of us this is the first kind of thing you know in our generation that we've ever experienced that's even close to this, right? Like there hasn't been, you know, maybe populations that went through like a, a big war or something had somewhat of a similar experience, at least with trauma or like total upheaval. 
But for a lot of yeah. us, like we haven't even, our generation hasn't experienced that. And so, and right. then it's like a pandemic that is just, our world has never seen the entire world. And so the effects of that are just, nobody is going to be able to, nobody can predict that and what that's right. look like and how that's going to affect all of our systems, you know, education, our economy, like healthcare, art, like all of it. And then us yeah. individually as just people, a society is our, how we connect, how we and I think it's just, it's so interesting because there's so much conversations around screen time and trying to connect over the internet and Facebook and what that looks like with social media and how we really need to connect more, you know, offline. And then we're all forced to like, this is our lifeline, you know, uh-huh. like use, you know, FaceTime to use you like YouTube to connect, to make videos, to, you know, to use Zoom and Skype and all of it. And it's just, uh-huh. Like, what, like what a like a 180 where we're like no we need this and totally. also to recognize that it is so different that it is not the it's not a full replacement and we're like right. all just like oh uh, like even just being around people that I don't know like just to have kind of that like interaction with with strangers in a way that's you know authentic when you just like see people at restaurants and you just you smile uh-huh. and you made like all those like little micro interactions that aren't necessarily you and you know all my girlfriends going out to dinner but just and it's just like what does that look like for humanity when we have to kind of like intertwine ourselves a little bit and be these like individual autonomous I don't know functioning with our family I I, I see positives you know, perhaps like with our family units becoming a lot closer, hopefully. I think the other, there's another side of that, which yeah, could be yeah. them like not getting along. But then also just, you know, students to kids who are developing, you know, what is that going to look like if they're a little bit more yeah. isolated and didn't get those connections? Because a lot of us as adults, I think that we're going to be able to bounce back and have that same social connection but if you're a kid and maybe if it's three months okay but if it's a year yeah that's gonna I mean that's gonna affect you as your development so I don't I don't know I think that's part of why we want to do this podcast we want to just kind of record this time and because it's gonna keep going even if even if tomorrow everything just like opened and it went back to normal which it's not there will still be effects because yeah. it's had such a detriment on all of our systems, especially the economy and what it's going to look like up here in Quincy. I don't know. I mean, in Plymouth County in general. So, right. yeah, I appreciate you being a part of the project and letting me kind of, you know, pick your brain and interview at you. And I'm glad that you're having your students do that. Please encourage them to <laughs> want to reach out and, and, <laughs> and do an interview or share what they wrote. I would love that. Yeah, I, I did share um, your information on my Google Classroom. And I actually, I do have to go because I have class in one minute. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I love you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> interviewing me. I love you. <laughs> Bye. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment is a nonprofit located in Taylorsville, California, in the eastern Sierras of Plumas County. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment's mission is to promote healthy and sustainable forests and watersheds by investing in the well-being of rural communities and strengthening their participation in natural resource decision-making and programs. If you have a story to share, please contact us by emailing me, Nina Martin, at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at sierrainstitute.us, or calling 530-927-9621.